Um, well, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Um, thanks for coming this morning. And uh, yeah, I just, um, yeah, like what Andy was talking about. Um, so there's this passage, um, there's a few passages like this in scripture, but um, probably my favorite one is like uh, Ezekiel 36, where it talks about how, um, you know, when we come to that crisis point, like what Andy's talking about, where, you know, it's like, I don't love you like I'm, like I'm supposed to and everything. I don't know what to do with that and everything. What God does in that moment is that he really, like, um, he, t- like he vividly describes in Ezekiel 36 that he takes out our heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. And because of that, heart, that new heart that we have, it just awakens new, new attitudes, new desires, new, like, man, I never thought about this. Like, I mean, like when Andy's talking about, like, I heard this a hundred times, but like when I'm hearing it now, it's like it's clicking for the first time. Like that's what the Bible's describing with that. So um, yeah, so what I'm going to be talking about um, in my in my sermon right here um, is um, that emanates. What I'm going to be talking about is what emanates from that new heart that we have. So what Andy's talking about is that fundamentally, like we have when we become Christians, we have a new identity. Like, you know, we just, like, we belong to Jesus, and that's the most important thing about us. And because we have that new heart that just, like, we're just brand new on the inside, even though we can't really describe it, and, like, we lack, we lack words to describe that newness inside us. Um, yeah, this is what emanates from us. So that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So, um, yeah. So uh, I found out on Friday afternoon that I was going to be preaching this morning. So, hey, so Brandon, like, he's our regular preacher that we have. Um, so he got really sick this week. So, so surprise. So, but Andy was preaching this morning, too. I didn't realize that. So he did an even better job than what I did, so much I'm thankful for. So, all right, so we're going to be talking about uh, John 17, 1 through 18. So I don't have a fancy intro this morning, so we'll just jump right into it. Seventeen one through eighteen. So after this, Jesus, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So it's important to know that uh, the first twelve chapters of the book of John, uh, that just moves at a breakneck pace. That's three years worth of Jesus' life in twelve chapters. It just is, man. It just moves at a breakneck pace. The next part, the rest of the book, that covers about a week. Okay, so it's just like. The story just slows down to this painful crawl. It's like zooms in to just really see what's going on, like in this last week of Jesus' life. So, man, because uh, chapters thirteen through seventeen, it covers about maybe two hours of Jesus' life. I mean, it just really slows down because there's just really important stuff that's going on these last these last few hours and like days of Jesus' life. So he's talking to his disciples. Here. So he had, he's washed his disciples' feet, he's talked to them about a ton of stuff, and then in John 17, he's like in front of his disciples, he starts praying. I don't know if that was awkward at all. It's like, all right, I'm talking to you, and now I'm going to start praying. It's like, well, I mean, I guess that must have been just pretty natural for Jesus to be doing. So verse 1, so after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. So when he says the hour has come, so he's lived three years of public ministry where he's like preaching the gospel, just like um, just doing a ton of stuff. But then like the hour has come for him to go to the cross and die in our place for our sins. 
So the hour has come. Verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have give, you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I am really thankful that um, when God communicates us through Scripture, that he doesn't like set up the Bible like a big glossary. Okay, That would just be a really hollow way to communicate with us and have a relationship with us. Um, but yeah, but this is an example of like, wow, he just actually, actually defined like what eternal life is. Like what is eternal life? That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So like when we come to know Jesus, like what Andy's talking about in that situation, like from a biblical perspective, like, you know, semantics are, it's just a semantics thing, but like, man, like the Bible defines eternal life starts when you know God, when Andy, like, like there was like, you know, when he's in a, his apartment, like, we're just really crying out to God and just, like, you know, that's when eternal life starts because he knows him. Verse 4, I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had bef- with you before the world began. So Jesus is not a created being. He was with the Father in eternity past. It's like, you know, he and the Father are one. So um, at this juncture, a lot of Bible translations, they put this little, they add this little header that says, uh, Jesus prays for his disciples. So after this part right here, this is like he's specifically praying for his 12 disciples right here. So now applications can definitely be made for us in this passage right here where he's going to be praying for his disciples, but specifically that's what he's praying for. Verse 6, I have revealed you to, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know you know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And just so you know, when he says, I'm not praying for the world, he doesn't mean like, oh, I'm not praying for them. He just means like right now he's not praying for them. So he's praying for his disciples. So verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by, by that name you gave me. None has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. And by that, he's talking about Judas. Verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may be... Have, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, 
I have sent them into the world. There's a lot of stuff in that passage that we could focus on. And if we had six hours for me to preach about it, I would probably die, and you would probably die as well. And that would be a horrible church service here. So there are tons of themes that we could focus on, like the glory of God, um, just the godness, the deity of Christ, and like the Trinity right there, and how the Father and him are one. Um, the sovereignty of God's choice and salvation and what the implications are for that, you know, the nature of persevering faith and what that means and how it happens, um, the awesome and privilege of prayer, and the example of Jesus praying, like Jesus was praying, you know, <laughs> like that's just, that, I just can't get over like how he does that and everything, and um, of all people, he prays. Um, the biblical definition of unity, so um, well, we're going to be zeroing in on just one theme right here for this morning, and that's uh, being on mission. Being on mission. So like I said, like what Andy's talking about, this emanates from our new identity that is in Christ. So this isn't like a to-do kind of thing. This emanates from our identity. So when it comes to being on mission, there's only three aspects that we want to focus on this morning. So that's um, being sent on mission, joy in mission, and difficulty in mission. Being sent on mission, joy in mission, and difficulty in mission. So first one, being sent on mission. So uh, we see in this passage that Jesus identifies himself as being sent from the Father just a bunch of times. So verse 3, verse 8, verse 18. Even if we go outside of this passage, just right after this, it's verses 20 and 21, 23, 25. It's like this is like the drum that Jesus keeps beating. It's like, I'm sent, I'm sent, I'm sent. You know, so like if you went to the marriage seminar a few weeks ago, like we just talked briefly about this in terms of like um, people who are married and like how they're on mission together and like they're like um, long-term missions partners together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, uh, they mentioned that Jesus identifies himself as being sent from the Father 10 times total in those three books. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 10 times total. Um, Jesus identifies himself as being sent from the Father. In the book of John, it is 42 times alone. It's like this, this is one of the mega themes of the book of John. So when someone is sent to a specific place with a specific purpose, that person is a missionary. So in the case of Jesus, he was sent to earth where he traded the comforts of the heavenly culture for the discomforts of the earthly culture. Whether that's, you know, in a desert in Jerusalem, it could be us here in Dubuque, whatever that is. He traded the comforts of one culture and traded it for the discomforts of another culture. And that was a big deal because Jesus was born in a barn. He swung a hammer with his dad. He sweated blood. He mourned the death of his cousin. And he was brutally murdered by his critics. Like, I'd say that was discomforts. <laughs> but he also came with a specific mission to preach the gospel, die for our sins, be raised from the dead so he could forever intercede for us so that we could have faith in him. He came with a specific mission. So the point of that is that Jesus is God as a missionary. Jesus is God as a missionary. And that's a big deal because I hope like what was really illustrated by, um, by what Andy was talking about is that um, like God is the one that was pursuing Andy. And I think like that was really obvious. So whenever someone comes to faith in him, um, what we really know, I mean, some of us like realize this in hindsight, like as we look at our life in the rearview mirror, it's like, oh, 
God was pursuing me. I didn't realize it at the time, but he was really pursuing me, and I didn't even realize it. It's like every other major world religion. Just imagine, like, if, if it was a, there was a mountain, and there was, like, that deity or that God on top of that mountain, and every other major world religion is that, like, you just need to work to get up to that mountain, to get to God in whatever way you can. But, like, the difference and uniqueness of Christianity is that we serve a missionary God, and he was up on the mountain, and he, like, sent, he went down to us to come and get us because he's a missionary God who sent you know, it's like he's the one that comes to us. He's the one that pursues us. So, verse 18, um, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. As I was a missionary, as, I, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending them. So if we want to be like Jesus, it's really critical that, like, if you're a Christian and you belong to Jesus, it's really critical that we like um, really reflect on the fact that like um, we we worship a missionary, and not to really nerd. I'm not going to nerd out right now and like talking about like the theology of worship. But if you really study the theology of worship and just like um, in Scripture, we become what we worship. So John chapter four with the woman at the well. Jesus tells the woman at the well like. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And the reason why the truth part, there's a lot of reasons why that truth part is important. But one of the reasons why like, people who worship worship in truth, and that's why that's important, is because we become what we worship. So knowing who God is, like he's a missionary. It's like we become what we worship. So when we realize this, we start seeing our neighbors differently. We start seeing our friends differently. Um, we start seeing our coworkers differently. You know, we don't go through the motions. Like, that's not like our, that's not like our default anymore. So, like, I remember um, I became a Christian when I was in college, and I remember I went to this little weekend conference, and I just remember um, we talked about this kind of stuff. I remember, you know, I went to UW-River Falls, the powerhouse, UW-River Falls. So um, we went to, I remember where I was on campus, like, walking along and just, like, you know, it was like one of those high traffic times you know, on campus. And I remember looking at people, and I just remember where I was, just like just looking at people differently. I mean, hopefully it didn't see me staring at them weird or whatever. But like, I mean, like I just was looking at people differently. Like I've never seen, like I was looking at people not as just people, but like people who God is pursuing, and He's inviting me into pursuing them. You know, like, I remember where I was in my car uh, driving somewhere. Uh, I remember where I was in my car when I first realized that, like, um, my parents need Jesus. Like, I didn't realize they needed anything. Um, I remember uh, when we moved here to Dubuque, they were just, um, just looking at our neighborhood and just, like, um, just meeting people and just, like, I was just really, like, nervous, excited of just like, okay, God is like, um, God is pursuing people in my neighborhood, you know, and like, he's inviting me into like pursuing that as well, you know? Yeah. So just like seeing people differently. It's important to notice that like when we start seeing people differently because of like, we see God's heart for them. Um, it's important to know, remember, like, the last part of Matthew 28. So Matthew 28, like, Jesus comes, you know, he dies for our sins, comes back alive. Um, then he convenes with his disciples on top of this mountain. 
somewhere, this mountain. And uh, he says, um, basically sends them on mission. He's like, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But like, he said this, he says this one little phrase right after that that's so critical. And he said, like often it's easy to forget this part, but like it's so critical. He's, like after that he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So like, yeah. So when we are on mission, we're actually with Jesus when we're on mission. Like we're not doing this in our own power and our own anything like that. It's like we're on like we're with him. And in a lot of ways, like that's a lot like going to work with your dad. So I grew up on a farm. Okay. So uh, you know, I would when I would the, the times that I didn't always do chores with my dad because that wasn't really my thing. But like when I was go out and do my chores and everything, man, I would just take the cat food and I had the cat food and I was like bringing it out there. And then like uh, so. We had these big round bales, and like my dad takes like the, you know, takes out his jackknife, you know, and so I put my hand on top of his, and like we just like cut the twine, you know. So like when we're driving the tractor, it's like I'm on there. It's like my dad's driving. I put my hand on the steering wheel, like yeah. It's like, you know, now you know, and I'm thinking like, my dad really needs me. <laughs> it's like no, no, my dad doesn't need me, but my dad loves me, and he wants, he likes coming to work with me. Like, he likes being on mission on that farm with me because he loves me. So when we're on a mission with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends who aren't Christians, it's like, um, it's not like going to work with your dad. It's like, he's just really glad that you're there. And he's going to make sure you don't screw it up either. So. All right, so being sent on mission. Next thing, joy and mission. Verse 13. So Jesus says, I am coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. So Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York City, so um, he's kind of a Yoda when it comes to this stuff. So, um, so what he says about this verse is, he says, according to this verse, the lack of joy in a Christian's life is at least partially due to their lack of mission. According to this verse, the lack of joy in a Christian's life is at least partially due to their lack of mission. And I think, I think Keller is on to something when he says that because, um, you know, when Jesus says, like, I say these things while I am still in the world, he's talking about everything that he's already prayed about up through that. So, like, that verse 1 through 12 right there, it's like, that's what he's talking about. And, like, on a fundamental level, like, everything up to that point in John 17 is all about mission, like, his, like the mission of Jesus. So, verse 4, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. Like, that sounds like mission to me. Verse 6, like, I have revealed you to those whom you have given me out of the world. Sounds like mission to me. Verse 8, for I, have gave, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Sounds like mission. Verse 11 and 13, I'm coming to you. And when Jesus says that, he's not like, eh, I'm out of here. It's like what he's talking about is like, okay, I'm purposefully going to like, I am going to die for the, go to the cross, die for the sins, and then I'm going to go to you because this is a really purposeful thing. He's on mission. Jesus got a lot of joy being on mission and like doing the work that God had him to do. So mission is not where Jesus got his identity. It's like, I am what I do. You know, it's like, no, you're more than that. You know, he was connected to the Father. That's where his identity stemmed from. 
but like out of that identity, it's just like he was on mission and like he just got a lot of joy from it. It's like, and this makes sense because like if you look at all the movies and all the fairy tales, I don't know, does anybody listen to fairy tales anymore? So like all the movies like um, that really captured the attention of our hearts, like it's all rooted in mission. You know, it's like we need to like band together and like the ring of power, it needs to go in Mount Doom. It's like mission. You know, it's like Voldemort's going to kill all the muggles and we need to do something about that and stop him. Like, that's mission. You know, we need to band together to, f- to defeat Ultron. It's like, that's mission. It's like, like, Dora needs to avoid all the slippery snakes and everything. Like, that's mission. You know, it's just like, it just depends on what age you are. Like, all the video games that are out there that just like people just spend like tons of time on, it's like, there is a mission associated with all of those things. And like, um, yeah, it's like they influence the attention of our heart because there's something intertwined in us that God has put in us that like there isn't like that we just love being on mission, you know? From a redemptive standpoint, like God's invite, inviting us into something, a mission just like even greater than we have, we can find in video games and like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Some, there's a reason why that captures our hearts. If you ask a little kid what they want to do when they grow up, they probably don't say your job. You know, it's like, ah, I want to go to an office somewhere and input some data. It's like, I mean, so, yeah, and their dream job probably has, like, mission at the center of it. Like, cops, you know, they can defeat the robbers. You know, they can capture the robbers, like, rescue the people from burning buildings. And, like, I'm going to teach, I'm going to babysit. And, like, oh, man, it's like, I'm going to take care of everybody. It's mission. You know, it's like, I'm going to be a teacher and, like, help people. It's like, yeah, there's mission. It's just, like... Yeah, but yeah, so mission is intertwined in our hearts, and God designed us like that. And like when it comes to like being on mission to our friends and neighbors and coworkers here in Dubuque, like He's inviting us into that. So, lastly, difficulty in mission. Difficulty in mission. So, verse 14 I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's such a heavy phrase, like the world has hated them. Man. So mission isn't easy. Like think of something that was in your life that has been extremely rewarding. It's like that thing that you're thinking about, it probably wasn't easy. You know? It's like why would we think the mission of God is any different? I mean, a lot of us, like what we gravitate towards is like, Man, it's like we will work so hard on our education or our work and everything because it's rewarding. But man, it's like when we get the slightest amount of resistance or like a hiccup or something like that, and mission is just like, dude, I'm out. You know, um, the most important, like the most rewarding things, like are just they aren't easy. You know, it's like there is difficulty in mission. Jesus tells us that in this verse. Verse fifteen. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is praying that we wouldn't be taken out of the world, but instead we would be protected by the evil of Satan. In other words, Jesus is praying against spiritual warfare and the allure, and there is an allure of this. He's praying against the allure of hunkering down and separating ourselves from people who aren't Christians when faced with suffering, particularly in mission. Yeah, and it's crazy how it doesn't take us very long in our spiritual lives to like just really make um, 
separating ourselves from non-Christians uh, sound spiritual and mature. So, um, yeah, that really happens when I hear some of the following phrases. Um, so this season of my life really needs to be focused on me and Jesus. Mission is a good thing, but I, what I really want to focus on right now is going deeper with God. I just need to take a break from people and focus on praying and reading my Bible. My husband and I really need to build ourselves up spiritually before we start thinking about sharing our faith. You know, and, and to a certain extent, there's nothing necessarily wrong with some of those things because um, we should all be growing spiritually, you know, for sure. But in my experience, people who say those things a lot, um, in my experience, they aren't using spiritual growth um, for anything beyond just, like, themselves. Um, you know, because the half-truth is that we all need to be growing spiritually, but ignoring people who aren't Christians lacks the heart of God, and that's not the fruit of someone who's growing spiritually. Yeah, and whether they realize it or not, um, they're falling into the trap that Jesus is praying against in this passage in verse 15. Like, man, like, I just really want to be taken off the missions field, and I just, I just really want to be taken out of the world. Like, I'm just going to just focus on me right now. But verse 16 and 17. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So when it says the word sanctify right there, right there, that's, that's a word that doesn't get used very often. Um, so that's a fancy word that the Bible uses to describe growing spiritually and just becoming more mature in your faith. That's just all that means. So you are sanct- according to this verse, like we are sanctified by the truth of the word of God. So we're going through John right now in our small groups, and I don't think we studied this passage because it just didn't like fit with everything that we were, gonna, we were going through. But uh, it's in John chapter 5, Jesus talks about how the entirety of the Bible just points to, G- to him. Like Jesus is the point. Like all that kind of stuff in the Old Testament, like everything, it's just like it all points to Jesus. Like he's the point. It's like he is the word of God. So I'd say on a foundational level, this passage is exhorting us to stick close to Jesus and just, like, be connected with him. And, like, fundamentally, that's how, like, we grow in our faith and become more mature. So, yeah. So one author says it like this. Staying connected to Jesus transforms our hearts to love what he loves, and that pushes us towards pursuing relationships with people who aren't Christians in hopes of loving them and connecting with them. This actually protects us from sin because the way to avoid sin isn't necessarily to avoid people who aren't Christians, but to stick close to Jesus. Sticking close to Jesus transforms everything about us. That's why the natural expression of it is to be on mission. And that's why it's not a coincidence that in verse 18, right after this, it says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So... Yeah, and, and some of us, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of, like, church backgrounds that we grew up in. Like, some of us grew up in no church background. Some of us grew up in, like, just churches that are just all over the spectrum, you know. Um, so some of us, some of us grow up in church and have grown up in churches where um, either directly or indirectly, what we've been taught is that um, the way that we grow spiritually is uh, by separating the world, categorizing the world into like good people and bad people, and you need to hang out the good people and avoid the bad people because then you'll become more like the good people. And like, 
I just got to tell you, um, that's not true because we read this verse that we are sanctified by the truth of the word of God and not by distance from non-Christians. And second of all, aside from this verse right here, um, scripturally speaking, like, there's not good people and bad people. Like, we're all the bad guys and Jesus is the good guy. There's only one good guy out there. So, um, yeah, so for the sake of joy, your joy, and then for the, for the kingdom of God, you don't have to be on mission. You get to be on mission. And that isn't one of those lame, like, things that we, like, we tell our kids. It's like, oh, it's like, you don't have to do the dishes. You get to do the dishes. Like, whatever. You know, it's like, you know. So it's not one of those things, but... The thing is, like, we don't have to do that. We get to do that because, like, he's really inviting us into that to, like, invest in our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers who really don't know Jesus yet. And, like, he's with us in the midst of that. And the last thing I'll say is that um, um, you're never going to feel like you're absolutely ready to be on mission to your friends, neighbors, and coworkers. Like, you just aren't. You know, so, like, the last place where we, where we lived, um, we had these good friends who they... Um, man, they were awesome. We loved them. Um, so they they were Christians who they they said once like, man, like um, I think we just really need to become a lot more spiritually mature before we can be on mission. You know, and I'm not the kind of person like I don't think like cornering someone like verbally like is really a great strategy in life at all. Generally speaking, I'm just not. I don't do that anyway. But uh, so I was just like. Um, I really disagreed with that. But, uh, but what I told them, what I just really asked them was, um, so how mature do you think you need to be before you think you're ready for that? And, um, you know, because I think like, uh, like a parallel example, um, when is a married couple ready to start having kids? I would argue never. Because, I mean, almost every parent that, like, I've ever met, like, when, when they start having kids, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter, like, how ready they are. Like, when they, like, start having kids, they're like, this is so much harder than what I thought it was. But, like, the thing is, like, God prepares us for that. You know, he prepares us in the midst of it, and he empowers us for that. You know? Um, yeah, and, like, so the woman at the well in John chapter 4, which I mentioned earlier. So Jesus has this, uh, this woman um, who is far, far away from God from a spiritual perspective, just way out there. So she had a, a dramatic, radical encounter with Jesus at, at this well. Okay. So, um, so after talking to Jesus and having this radical conversation with him, um, she, she runs <laughs> back to her town. And there, all indications are that she became, she became a Christian somewhere between verse, verses 26 and 27. Um, so he has this radical conversation with her, and then she runs back to her town. And um, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say, no, 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 no. come back. Okay, so you need to grow spiritually a bunch. Like, you need, just need to, like, uh, go through some training courses on how to share your faith. You just need to, like, just really be discipled for a couple years. You just need to really grow, hunker down, hang out with, like, the good people. and Like, just, like, do all that. Then I think you'll be ready to, like, run back to your town and, like, tell everybody about me. It's like, no, like, she ran. 
and he let her run. And it says, um, it says later in that passage that many people in the woman's town came to believe because of the woman's testimony. And it says like, I'm, it says like she's, she told them, um, I met a man who told me everything that I had ever done. And many people came to believe. It's like, we are more ready than we realize, and we're on mission with him. Out of the stem, that mission stems from our identity. Let's pray. So thank you, God, for you. And um, I'm just really thankful for um, just how you pursue people. Um, thankful that you pursued Andy and, like, you just really um, just gave him the words to, talk, to share about that today. And I'm thankful that you, you pursued me as well and, like, you're pursuing all of us, whether we can realize that or not. And um, so, yeah, we just pray that as we just um, respond to you in communion and just really respond to you, um, in our hearts and lives that we'll just really enjoy surrendering to you just like um yeah so we really need you for that i pray that like um thank you for dubuque like we love dubuque and um and we pray this in advance for like our friends and neighbors and coworkers who just like who you are pursuing and pray you'll just give us eyes and a heart for them and um and that's that's because like you've given others like a heart and eyes for us, God. So thank you for you, and we love you. Amen.